Okay, guys. So I have Jonathan Keekbush on the SEO Life podcast today, and I'm super excited to have him on because he comes from a very unique background and he is the founder of SEO Butler. And so we're going to be talking about a lot of interesting things like white label SEO and of course, um, SEO in general. And we're also probably going to talk about a little bit how he operates his business. So thank you so much for coming on, Jonathan. Hey, Nathan, thanks so much for having me. It's, um, it's really exciting. It's actually, I think it's the first time that we've actually spoken despite swimming in the same pond for a long time, right? It is. It is. It's so weird. Like you feel like you know someone, but then like you've never actually talked to them. So that's, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm super excited that you're on and I'm really excited to dive into your, your business. I, I've seen that you've just been, um, you know, you've really been growing a lot. So I'm, I'm excited to see that and learn more about it. Hey, I am excited to share what I can. It's been a wild ride here over the last couple of years of, of you know, founding and growing this business. And whatever I can do to pass on any knowledge, uh, I'm very excited to do. Okay, great. Well, um, so the first thing I want to you know get into is your background, and I want to go even before you got into SEO. So, what you know, what was that path that led you to SEO? Okay prepare yourself. I will try my very best to not go off on a tangent. <laughs> oh, that, that's fine. You do whatever um, you can. Okay. So what a lot of people don't realize because of my, my accent is um, I, I was born and raised in, in Germany. Uh, hence the really strange surname. Um, and I, I got to a point where I had to make a decision between trying to get into like a trade school, going and doing a, a year with the military, uh, going and doing like charity or something like that, um, or just simply packing up and leaving, right? Uh, that was when I was 16. Um, and I left and I, and I basically never looked back. I, I left uh, and I went to India um, on my own. Um, and I, that was my first real introduction to IT, in general, um, because once I got out there, I joined some classes on web design and that kind of stuff. And um, back then, it was flash websites that were like the thing. So you can imagine the kind of horrendous stuff I was building. It was hilarious. Sure. What, what, year, uh, what year was that? Oh, so that was like that was like very late two thousand five, very early two thousand six. Okay, got it. Um, and so I. I did that. I did that for like three years. Um, and I, I took on a couple of different roles while I was out there. Um, I really enjoyed it. I had a great time in India. I have a lot of love for it. I was Southeast. I was in Pondicherry. Um, and a little bit later I was in Bangalore. Um, but I, I, I kind of got to a point where I had to come back and I, you know, I wanted to kind of like level up because while I was out there, I, I kind of lost track of like, you know, the direction that I wanted to go in. Um, in my life. And so I came back and, you know, you know, at that point being like 18, 19 and having been out of, out of the house for a hot minute, coming back and to live with mom wasn't really an option. Right. So I come back and I, um, and I stay with mom and uh, I start looking for work everywhere. Well, it so happened to be that I got headhunted by this Indian American British company that was into usability testing called Human Factors. Um, at that time, 
2008, late 2008, they were the market leader, I would say, in, in usability testing, uh, working with huge mega corporates. I mean, we're talking, you know, like Bosch and Boeing and, and Deutsche Bank and, and those kind of clients. And um, I came on board as a... Um, as an account executive. So the whole idea was that here's a guy that can speak English, that can also service the Dach countries, so Germany, Austria, Switzerland, uh, by speaking German, uh, that has a vague background in IT, so you know, they can, he, I, can, I can sort of you know, translate uh, in layman's terms what, what it is that we're gonna be testing, um, and that can work with a vastly Indian back office. So the majority of our back office operations that time were in India. So I was like, well, that's me, right? Like I've, you know, I'm, I'm German, I speak English, I've lived in India, I understand tech. Well, great, okay, let's do this. Um, the caveat being that their office was in London. And so they, they gave me a really nice uh, sort of moving budget, I moved to England. Um, and once again, you know, sort of never looked back. Um, worked with them for a while, became director of sales for Europe, it was great, um, until the bubble burst and um, the, the, delayed recession from what happened in 2008 kind of affected that industry and um i was i, I was basically made redundant i was basically laid off um i at that point you know that was like uh, to me at that point that was my dream job i was getting paid a ridiculous amount of money way more than i should have been at that age uh, I was traveling all around Europe all the time, meeting with, with you know, huge clients and, and stuff like that. I was just having a great time. So I was like, okay, I'm done with IT. I'm done with all of this stuff. Like, I don't, I don't want to do any of this anymore. Um, so I was like, where's, where's there an opportunity that I can slide into? Um, and I looked at the security industry in the UK and it, and it was, um, it was kind of rough. You know, it was uh, a bunch of guys that were, sort of, you know, how to say, like rough and tough and, and scary and intimidating. And they worked really well for certain jobs, but they didn't work so well for other jobs, right? So I was like, man, this could, this could be a great niche for me. Why don't, I, why don't I create like the boutique security agency? And so I did, I founded a security company. I um, went through this whole training process of um, uh, becoming uh, like a licensed bodyguard, essentially uh, doing like surveillance training, bodyguarding, uh, the, the, the whole nine yards basically, and um, uh, created this company. And we, over the course of about three and a half years, we did everything. We did everything from uh, the low end, which is, you know, looking after jewelry stores and that kind of stuff, um, all the way to um, high end events. We, we used to do the security for like the Queen's polo events um, mm. to um, really high end stuff. So looking after foreign royalty, um, when the US chief of staff, for example, came to, to the UK, we were part of the, the, um, the security advance party to, to liaise with the, um, the, the, the US services that obviously were involved, that kind of stuff, right? So that, that's really the exciting stuff. But to be totally honest with you, that kind of work, it's, it's very, it, it seems very glamorous to a lot of people from the outside because they've watched James Bond movies and stuff like that. To be honest mm -hmm. with you, it's a lot of standing around, sitting on your ass, and ultimately, you know, being out and about for really long hours. So if you've got, you know, a, a foreign billionaire or for, foreign royal that's going to come and do like a three country tour, well, that means that for about two or three weeks, you're going to be working 18 hours a day um, on their schedule. You're going to eat when you get an opportunity. You're going to be stressed to the max. 
Um, and then after the job is done, you're not going to get paid for however many days until they choose to pay you. So I got progressively more frustrated and I decided that I wanted to come out of this. And so I met this guy, um, who uh, a guy called Luke, who was a very switched on guy, who uh, was an SEO, and you know he'd done a lot of affiliate stuff at that point. And he said, "Man, this stuff's really interesting. Let's, um, you know, let's see if there's an opportunity there for us." And um, so what I would do is I would work, you know, my my usual sort of ten to eighteen hour days, and in the time off, we would sort of research how we could um, how we could make some money in this digital marketing world. And we came across this Facebook group and we just started to monitor it. And I think at that point it was um, the proper PPN group and now it's the proper SEO group. And, um, you know, there were, at that point, PBNs were obviously very, very, very popular. Um, and um, we were just sort of observing what a lot of people had questions about and what they were looking for. And one of the biggest problems was um, creating PBN content at scale, right? So, we were like, man, this could be this could be interesting. Like, with with my background in managing like Asian teams, um, I, we, we might have an edge here. So, the first ever thing that we launched was um, called something like Article Writing Ninja or something like that, and um, we just basically, you know, did like Filipino content writing services for people that ha for people that had large PBNs, and we, you know, we we sort of decided that. Um, if we could do this at scale, even though the margins were tiny, we, we would be able to make enough money doing that. Obviously, that is the worst misconception ever. <laughs> you know, you, you can't, you're not going to get rich making $1.25 of an article if you're manually processing orders. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. So anyway, to cut, a, to cut a very long story short, that is basically the story of how we entered the seo service provider uh, industry wow okay yeah so there's um there's a lot i want to unpack there um so clearly you have you have a lot of experience in business in general not just seo um so you i mean from first of all your first big job being usability testing which actually ties really well into seo in some ways mm -hmm. um that's very interesting and i'm sure the skills you learn there have probably helped you much today um, is that true? Yeah. yeah. Um, sure. So that's, that's a big deal. And then also um, you were in sales. So that's another really good skill to have when you enter business. And then also um, having to acquire clients for the security business, which I'm assuming mm. you didn't use SEO. No, <laughs> so. no, exactly. Well, and, and so that you, you, you hit the nail on the head there. I think that one of the biggest advantages that I had going into the SEO industry was having corporate experience and understanding how businesses work. Because as a, as a marketer, and even when I was growing in the security business, I had to always understand how I can help the, the, not just the business, but the people in the business that are being reviewed by the higher ups, right? And as soon as you start understanding that, you start having leverage because you start being like, oh, okay, so this guy is the VP of marketing and he's going to be measured by certain uh, uh, KPIs. As long as I can understand those KPIs, I can make him look like an absolute rock star to his boss and he's going to keep me on as long as he can. But if you don't understand that and you are just trying to sell uh, an SEO package, you know, that's just like, 
set and forget that kind of thing, then you're always going to lose. You're going to have a really high churn rate. And so I really value the kind of corporate experience that I got through my sort of lead up career. Sure. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's very fascinating too, that you said that because you, you, it, there is kind of a, a political side to things when you work in a big um, organization. Mm. <laughs> For so, sure. Um, and you don't really get that exposure unless you work with a big organization. Cause really at the end of the day, you know, whoever above you, that's who you're trying to please. Um, and you'll do things to please them. Um, so it's interesting you say that. Um, the other thing I'm, I'm interested about is the operational skills you had developed to run a security company um, and to be able to manage those huge events that you were working on. How did you learn how to do that? Is it just through pure experience or did you have someone helping you? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. So I think that um, partially, I think it's a personality trait. Like I am very um um very uh particular i would say mm. and for that reason i've always kind of had a knack for planning things but then the other side of it is that i think that what i learned the most in organizing those kind of events is people management skills right and so you know learning how to get somebody to stand outside in the rain for 12 hours straight, basically, and still, you know, have a smile on their face when the principal comes in the building. That's, you know, that's, you, you have to manage that person and, you know, make them feel like that they, they have a purpose. And so when you then start to take those skills and you, you know, you develop them over time by, you know, by trial and error and by sort of seeing what works, what doesn't, and, and, and sort of, you know, getting the rewards and, and all of that, you start to be able to apply that to a lot of different things. And um, I found that particularly helpful when we started trying to work with remote team members where we can't just give them a pat on the back in the office and be like, Hey, great job, you know, because you, you started to really have to, you know, deploy empathy to, to understand what their position might be right now. Sure. Yeah. And that's, <clears throat> that's interesting. And we could go obviously so deep into that alone. Um, and you know, one other thing that stood out to me when you were discussing the security industry um, experience that you had was the collection side of things. So when you're running that company, you would collect payments after the work was done. And it's funny because now, obviously, the business you have now, you collect payments before the work is done. Um, yes, sir. So I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> that that experience taught you that that's the right way to really operate a business. Um, is that true? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you couldn't be more right. Um, honestly, that I think was the crux of that whole industry was the fact that people had mismanaged it into the ground. Right. And, and I'm talking on, on an institutional level for the entire industry in the UK. People were undercutting each other all the time. And by undercutting each other, making the terms more and more lenient just to be able to get the job. So by the time that I entered that market, I was already dealing with the terms that other people had set. And I didn't have the clout to come out and say, well, actually, no, here's how it's going to go, because I was just not going to get the job. And so the problem was that, you know, we were dealing with huge multinational organizations, uh, like, you know, big international jewelry chains and stuff like that. 
that just simply wouldn't pay. And we would have to threaten them with litigation to get our measly, you know, five or 10K uh, invoice paid while we're working on their jobs. And so, yeah, you know, that, that was just, that added so much stress because here's the other problem. A lot of the guys in that industry work hand to mouth, meaning that they don't have the reserves. So the contractors that I would actually put out in a field, they don't have the reserves to not get paid for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. So not yeah. only am I waiting for my, for, the, for my invoice to be paid, but I'm paying out the five guys, the 10 guys, whatever, that are out on the job. Right. And so the stress that that put on me was just not worth it. Yeah. It's crazy how like these industries, they, they develop this status quo and then that just becomes like the norm of how mm -hmm. businesses are operated. Um, and you can't really deviate because then you won't get any clients. So it's, it's bizarre in that way. Um, mm -hmm. and it, it, it means that there, it's time for disruption. It seems, um, when it's like that. Yeah. So, um, okay, well, that's great. Yeah, that's, you have a very fascinating background. Um, and it clearly you've learned many, many skills, um, even prior to getting into the SEO field, which I'm assuming has helped you a ton. Um, when you started PBM Butler, which is now SEO Butler. Correct. Um, so, so let's talk about, you know, the early stages of PBM Butler, um, and what that looked like. Sure. So, you know, like I said, we started off with that really, really basic service of, you know, sort of providing people with like 500 word PBN articles. Um, at first, we literally just hired some, you know, some Filipino writers. Um, they did an, a, a great job for the quality that was asked of them. Um, and the, the problem, though, was that obviously there were there were issues with that content. So we were like, man, how can we, how can we up the competition and become more um, reliable in, in terms of quality? So I had this idea that we would hire American university students to proofread the articles that were written in, um, in the Philippines, which worked out great. Uh, from a time zone perspective as well, because the Philippines are obviously so far ahead that they would finish their day and then all of the content would be ready to be read by the, by the American team um, all within a sort of a 24 hour period. Sure. Um, and by just having them proofread it, we could give them, you know, a, a very small amount of money it, when you compare it to having them write it. And, by providing that service, it put us a, a, a long ways ahead of the competition at that time. So we started getting a lot of requests for other services. We, uh, we then launched like a, a, a domain finding service um, where basically Luke being very, very proficient in, um, in scraping, he uh, built a scraper. We started finding our own PBN domains, started selling those. And um, at that point, we actually opened an office in India, a, a physical office. We, we flew out there, opened an office, um, and uh, built all of that up. Um, now, actually, let me backtrack. So the, the one thing that I think was a deciding factor in that becoming a success was that our first real UK hire was a customer service person. 
that whose sole job it was, was to look after order management and customer support. Whereas everyone else was managing their customer support themselves via Facebook messages, via, you know, God knows what, via uh, SOPs sent out to like a Filipino VA. And so a lot of people were having issues with uh, churn because of customer frustration. Whereas by us investing into a UK customer support person right away, we were able to massively leverage that. And I'm sure, you know, you, you have experienced this, but, uh, you know, for us, Customer support is one of the strongest sales channels, hands down, just because people didn't know what they needed. They would cut the contact support, and instead of getting a templated message, they would get an upsell. They would get education. They would get yeah. whatever, right? And so that was huge for us. Um, we then headed out to India, uh, opened up that office, started offering PBN builds and that kind of stuff from our office there. Um, and I'm just trying to think, uh, we added a couple of other services and then to cut a very long story short, um, we, my, my business partner, Luke decided that he wanted to leave the business to pursue other projects. Um, so we, um, went through, uh, I'm trying to find the right words here. We, we went through like a buyout process, um, and, um, I bought out uh, his shares out of the business and rebranded in the same move then to SEO Butler with the vision being that we were going to step away from PBNs. We we're going to step away from low quality content. Um, we were going to totally change the brand towards um, a more um, quote unquote white hat approach of, you know, having US content writers, having uh, guest posting instead of uh, PBNs and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And that once again, then worked out really, really well for us. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's all very interesting. Um, so you said that, you know, you started with like one or two services, actually just really one service in the beginning. And then you started to expand on those services yes. based on customer feedback that you were getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what does that, you know, launch process look like for when you, you see that there's clearly a need there and you're like, okay, we need, we need to get this service in place. So what is that like first step that you take? And then what's, you know, how does that transpire? So this is, this is something that's that, I find really fascinating um, from a from a self reflection point of view. I am obsessed with quality, and I am obsessed with getting it right. And so, for that reason, our launch process is very slow, which has meant that in a lot of cases we're very slow to market when new trends arise. Because you know what it's like in SEO, there's a new fad, like, you know, I don't know, all of a sudden scholarship link building becomes like the thing, right? Yeah, of course. And so, so what happens on our end is that we identify the need and then we go into a pretty long testing phase where we try to figure out a couple of things. The first thing is, is it something that we can actually build out at scale, right? Then the second thing is, at this scale, is it commercially viable based on the options that are already out in the market? And then the third and the most important thing is, if we're doing this at scale and it's commercially viable, is it safe to use for people that are running SEO campaigns for clients? Um, you know, if you're sending stuff to people that are making an educated decision for their own site, that's a totally different story. But when we're selling something to like a junior SEO dude that doesn't really quite know what they're doing and then they tank their client site and then they get sued, 
I couldn't live with that. So that's why yeah. we go through that kind of process. Um, and that's why we're slower to market. And that's why, you know, we've definitely missed out on opportunities. But that's also why, you know, we're now five and a half years into this brand, which in the grand world, in the, in the, in the you know, the grand scheme of things is nothing, but in the SEO world is quite a long time. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny because yes, although you may miss out on some opportunities, you've actually probably avoided a lot of issues because of mm -hmm. that upfront work that you've done. Yep. Well, and there's, there's so many like the scholarship links, right? We were still testing them when people like Matt Diggity started publishing posts about how he sees a correlation between scholarship links and, and penalties, right? Uh, yeah. We, uh, GMB verifications, man, you wouldn't believe how many messages we got about asking us, you know, if we can do bulk GMB verifications and that kind of stuff. Uh, all of that kind of stuff. Like we, we've got so many uh, of them that we went through testing phases. And then by the time that we, we were starting to conclude the test, we were like, this isn't really something we want to be associated with. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's interesting your workflow because there's so many different schools of thought. So like one school of thought is that you, you build out the product, you figure out the operation side of things first as phase one, and then you transition to the marketing and sales. But then there's another side of the market that says, well, you should actually write out your sales page first. Don't even create the product and then use that as the vision of what the product will be. Um, and mm. I, you know, you know, for me, I, I lean more towards your side of things where I want to get the product right. And I just like, mm -hmm. can't, I can't sleep at night if that's not like <laughs> the process that I go through. Um, yeah. so, um, and I, you know, I've tried both ways and it just seems for me personally, and I think it really comes down to, you know, your personal, uh, philosophy. Um, but I think the way that you do it is I align with that a lot more. Um, and it's, it's hard because you know, you're not making money while you're doing that. Um, you're, you're building out the product, you're building out the operations. But, um, I think if you do that the right way, that's really long-term what's going to make the most money. Um, For, in my opinion, yeah. of course. Yeah. But I, I, I think that, you know, the, uh, I think that it is the right approach, but it's, it's the right approach for people like you and I that are, um, that are building something to last. And I think that that is something that's very important to take note of because the reality is that there are plenty of people in the industry and in especially stuff like the Facebook groups that are not interested in that. They're interested in quick gains and they don't care if it churns and burns, right? Like if yep. they, if, if today there's a scholarship link builder and if that only lasts for six weeks and that's fine because they don't have a brand they have a, a single page landing page with a paypal button where they're selling scholarship links and then after those six weeks they are the gmb verification service under a new name under a new domain with two pages right but that's that, that's not how you build a business that's not how you build you know a, a, a quote-unquote legacy and so i guess it just comes down to like like you said down to preference on what is, what is your end game? What is your goal? Yeah. And it, it's funny you say you bring up brand because that really is, I, I guess at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to is, do you want a long-term brand or do you want to have to continually come up with these new ideas to make money? Um, and for me personally, it seems like the smartest thing long-term, although it's much harder um, is to build a brand because that just makes things easier long-term in the short term. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's tough. 
because you know you have to building a brand is not easy especially in the seo industry where it's so competitive mm-hmm. um but that you know it kind of ties into something else i want to talk to you about and um you know your your business seo butler you guys sell white label seo services and i'm sure you you know this that's a very competitive space in our market and it's also a space where it's very difficult to differentiate your products. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, what is your thought process about that, about how you guys are differentiating? Um, yeah, I, want, I just want to hear more about that. So when you, when you say our product, do you mean our actual, like the, the, the individual products or productized services that we're selling via the site? Or are you talking about like, you know, our like full service SEO kind of offering? Um, either uh okay yeah either either or either or i think that on the seo butler side it's it's really the the biggest difference is the the quality of the products that we that we uh supply and how they're created right so you know you have a uk-based customer service order management team all of, for example, on the writing side of things, all of our writers are either in the UK or in the US. Um, everything goes through multiple quality assurance processes. Everything is backed by like our money back guarantee. And, and most importantly, we're not going anywhere, right? And so we, you know, we have a physical office. So it, it's not one of those fly-by-night operations where you don't know where it's going to go. Um, I think that you know, that, that's definitely a big difference. I think another big difference is that um, customers, especially bigger customers, have the ability to actually communicate with us. And that's, that's really big. So especially when it comes to like big link building campaigns or big content campaigns, they can book a call with us and say, look, hey, I need to spend 10 grand over the next three months for, you know, on, on content or whatever. And I really need some help. Like I can't order 10 grand's worth of content via the website. I need to like create a content plan and figure this out. And, you know, and then they actually have access to myself and they have access to Lindsay, who's the head of content. And we sit down with them, we create a content plan. And I think that is a huge difference is that we, we, we care so much that it, cuts into our margins from time to time but it also means that those customers are then customers for life so on the productized service side i think that that is um a really a, a big big difference um on the seo side you know we we um we we have an agency we specialize in in e-com SaaS, and uh, e-learning uh, seo um and i think that the biggest difference there is really that we understand how our clients businesses work and so um when we when we create marketing strategies for them we don't just look at seo we look at the entire business model and we um then create an seo strategy around that um which is far bigger if you will than just creating a strategy on how to rank for a given keyword yeah yeah that's all yeah that's very interesting and on the on the uh, white label SEO side, um, you know, it's very hard to differentiate on just like the product level, like, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much, you know, there are many vendors out there. I don't need to name nope. them, but, um, you know, when you're, when you're picking links, it's almost like which ones are going to be the most affordable based on the DA or DR or whatever the KPI mm-hmm. they're using. Um, but the key difference I think between, you know, companies is going to be that personal touch, um, and what's going on behind the scenes 
Um, because really at the end of the day, if we're selling a commodity based business, that's really what is going to be the key difference. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that that's, you know, when I buy services or products, that's what I look for. You know, um, I, I look for that personal touch. I look for, am I, you know, if I get into bed with this business, am I actually able to reach a person that's, that's going to be able to solve my problem if I have one? Um, and, and those are all very important questions. And, you know, that's ultimately one of the things that everyone gets so frustrated with when, um, you know, talking about sort of mega corporations is that, you know, yeah, sure, they have a support hotline and you can call them and you're never going to speak to anyone that can actually solve your problem. You can just speak to people that can file a ticket for you and then, you know, you never yeah. hear back. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's you know, and that's kind of the thing that we're trying to combat is, you know, we're, we're trying to deploy empathy. Um, we're, we're trying to, um, you know, create a great product and great service. And obviously we are competing on a... Um, on sort of a, a, a product level as well. So we always have to stay competitive um, and, and keep an eye on the, the latest trends. But in the grand scheme of things, of course, people are going to look at the price. People are going to look at, you know, uh, the, the delivery time and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, one other thing I want to ask you about that, because obviously your, your market is pretty much other SEOs when it comes to that side of things. Um, and I have experience working with other SEOs and it can be challenging in some ways because, um, to say the least, they have high expectations about certain things. Um, and so how do you manage those expectations? And of course that's going to start at, you know, the, the product development level. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, how do you, how do you work with those expectations? Sure. I think that you, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, you know, the, the, the big problem with SEOs is, and I'm a part of this problem, is that we always know better, right? We, you know, I, I know my campaign better than you and I know exactly what I need. And, you know, so the, the SEOs are quite unforgiving customers, to be totally honest with you. And I'm sure that, you know, you can, you can probably echo this because I'm sure that you've gone through this when you, you know, when you had products yourself. Um, but the reality is that I, I have the, this really strong belief that if customers are dissatisfied with your product or service that it's your fault. And the reason why it's your fault is because you've done something wrong at some stage. It's either on the product development level, it's on how you sell the product, so how you educate the customer what they're about to buy, um, or it's actually on the, the delivery aspect, right? So, um, and so we, we have a quite a strong policy there where we review the questions that were asked very frequently um, and then we review whether we need to update the product pages to reflect those questions. So if we get the same question multiple times, then we're doing something wrong. If people are upset about the same thing multiple times, different people, then that's our fault. It's not the customer's fault, right? And so it's really, really important for us to pay very close attention. And it's very easy to say, oh, these guys are just idiots and, you know, like, you can't get anything right. No, they're not going to get a refund. Like they just didn't understand it. They didn't read it. Well, why didn't they read it? Did you hide it on the page? Did you put it below the fold? Right? So it's very, very important to have a level of self-reflection there because ultimately if the customer goes away, the only person that loses is the business. And that's why it's so important to, you know, understand lifetime values and why it's so important to understand like the importance of your customer service and your product development and all of that. 
Yeah, those are all amazing points. And it, it's funny because, you know, when you're working in really any business, you when you get a complaint, you just see it as that, but you don't see it as something that is actually, you know, a systematic issue that led to that. Um, mm. And I think it, I think it's important to, when you see that, you know, kind of let's, let's take some steps back and see where, you know, why did it end up this way? Um, and usually, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, it probably is the business's fault. There's obviously sometimes where there are certain customers who, um, sure. No matter no matter what you do, will not be happy. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, um, don't mind the crying baby. Um, oh, it's so lunch <laughs> lunch time for the baby. So, um, but uh, yeah. So you know, going back through that process is so important. I'm I'm really glad you brought that up because um, I don't know. I'm I'm the type of person where it's like I feel like you know you got to take full accountability for every outcome in the business. So. Um, and if your customers, if there's an ongoing trend of customers being mad, then you really need to start doing some, uh, you know, self-examination. Yeah, um, absolutely. And that's, yeah. and that's, and that's easier said than done. Like it, it, it blows because, you know, we all have our pride and we all, um, you know, we, we, we all want the fault to not be with us, but it's, um, what, what I think I've learned uh, over the last, you know, however many years of, of owning businesses is that the, the more open you are to self-reflection and the more honest you are uh, with yourself in those moments of self-reflection, the quicker your, your business is going to grow. Um, because if you just keep lying to yourself about, you know, how great everything's going, when you know you're receiving complaints and stuff like that, then you're just you're just uh, running your business into the ground, right? Yeah, that that is one hundred percent a fact. Um, so now I want to ask you kind of like a non SEO question, um, and Let's I've go. been asking uh, you know every person this, but what does your average day look like? So you know when you wake up to when you shut it down, what does that look like? Sure. Um, so. <laughs> an average COVID day. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's assume, uh, that's not, um, at play. Okay. So, yeah. um, I, um, I wake up very early, uh, naturally. Um, so, uh, when I say very early, I have to be careful because in the marketing world, there's some absolute beasts that wake up at like you know three in the morning or something. That's not me. I, I wake up at like six to six thirty. Um, and I, um, I, I, I get up, I make uh, coffee for the wife and myself, um, and I start checking my emails. Um, I then head, we, we usually head into the office for like eight-ish. Uh, we live very close to the office. Uh, my wife works with me, uh, which is awesome. Um, and um, we start sort of, you know, working um, and then depending on the day, um, depends on sort of, you know, what time we leave. I typically have a lot of phone calls. Uh, I'm, I'm in a lot of meetings. I'm involved in, um, a, a decent amount of businesses now. So, um, you know, a, a lot of my time is spent luckily now I'm very grateful for, you know, having this opportunity, but I'm, uh, a lot of my time is now based on decision-making and meetings rather than, you know, actual you know, doing, I guess, is, is I don't, I don't know how 
to best put it. Um, so working on the business, not in the business. Um, and then depending on the day um, and how busy we are, we, um, we leave anywhere between sort of, you know, 3 p.m. to um, uh, sometimes 6 or 7 p.m. It, it really depends. Uh, and then again, depending on the day, we'll go to the gym um, and head back. Um, and then the, the big variation here is that as a team, as a UK team, we love going for lunches. So we do that a lot because there's only eight of us. So it's very easy to facilitate. Um, we go for lunches. We, if the sun's out, uh, we go for after work drinks. Uh, we travel a lot. Um, people are able to, able to work remotely. Um, so it's, it's really varied. And one of the things that I've noticed as well is that, you know, the majority of our agency client base is based in the US. And then within that, because of the fact that we're in e-com, SaaS and e-learning, a lot of them are in California. Um, and, you know, because obviously big venture funded uh, sort of startups and stuff like that. And so what will happen a lot of the time is that I'll have a really busy morning and then I will chill throughout sort of like midday lunch till the early afternoon. And then in the early evening, I start getting busier again and I start, you know, having calls and meetings and stuff like that. Just because obviously for us here in the UK, our 5 p.m. is 9 a.m. in L.A. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting because that's not something I've ever had to really deal with because obviously all of my customers are in the U.S. and I'm in the U.S. So it's interesting exactly. you have to kind of you have to manage that um, as well with those time changes. That's very interesting. Um, so a couple other things. Um, I know you've done a little bit of speaking, right? Mm. And um, you did that at the Chiang Mai conference and, and maybe some other ones that I don't know about. Um, so speaking is, you know, most people fear speaking more than they fear death. So what has allowed you to be able to do that um, confidently? Hmm. Um, so it's, it's funny you say that. Everybody that sees me speak um, always tells me, how confident I seem and, you know, how, how just uh, um, sort of natural it seems and stuff like that. But the reality is, man, I'm shitting myself right up until I walk on that stage. Like that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the reality every time as well. You know, I did, I did Chiang Mai uh, two times um, and both times it was, it was pretty petrifying. Now, that being said, the more I've done it, the more confident I've become. Um, and it also obviously helps that the more um, confident you are in the material. So um, to cut a long story short, I think that for me, what makes it seem um, like I have so much confidence is the fact that once I'm on stage, I really enjoy speaking it's the lead up to it that's petrifying for me um you know the 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 commitment is easy being like yup let's do this and i'm excited for it and then i start going into the oh you know crap i now need to create enough material to fill an hour um and then you know you get closer and closer to the time and then it kind of like you know stresses you out more and more and then the second i walk on that stage it's just you just got to do what you got to do right um, and, um, but what's, I tell you, what's also really helped, and this is, this is the ultra cheat. 
is for the last Chiang Mai SEO in uh, November of 2019, I had the absolutely phenomenal Sean on our team, who is the, the lead editor for, for SEO Butler's blog, um, help me create the entire narrative of the presentation that I was going to give. And so I kind of was able to work with him through it, which gave me an incredible amount of confidence um, that I didn't have the first time that I just worked on it myself, right? Um, and so that, that really, really helped me. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's, that's amazing advice. And, um, you know, it's funny cause you, you, you build these things up so much in your mind and then when you actually get on stage, you have no other choice, but to focus, right? Exactly. So, um, so that, that, that's interesting. You say that, well, a uh, couple other questions, um, has COVID-19 affected your business at all? Um, so, so to be honest with you, um, when it, you know, when the lockdowns first started happening, uh, there was a little bit of an effect on the client base. Um, we had some leftover local clients from, you know, way back in the day. And uh, most of those went away, which was kind of a blessing in disguise because these were a lot of these were clients that we should have let go, but we kind of kept them on because they were easy to manage. Um, on, on the SEO Butler front, little bit of an effect when that first happened and then a second effect when the Amazon uh, announcement came out that, you know, the, the, the uh, commissions would be slashed. Sure. Um, because obviously, you know, a, a lot of affiliates use us for like the link building and the content writing. Um, but all in all, to be honest with you, we've, we've been doing okay. We um, very, very early on in all of this, we put contingency plans into place. Um, you know, we, we were very proactive um, and uh, like all the directors in the business, for example, just immediately agreed to, to cut our salaries for a given amount of time and that kind of stuff just to, to be proactive and to make sure that we're going to be sort of, you know, uh, COVID proof. Um, but luckily everyone already had laptops and stuff. So everyone's just working from home. Uh, we're very, very fortunate to be in an industry where that was possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. So, um, okay. Well, you know, last question is where can people follow you and learn more about, uh, SEO Butler and what you're working on? Sure. Um, what are we working on? That is a great question. Um, so one of the biggest things that, that we've been working on is what a lot of people don't realize is we, actually did this really stupid, crazy thing to try to build our own order management system behind SEO Butler. Um, so with like a writer management system, uh, you know, that automatically pays our writers and uh, copy scape checks everything and the signs editors and all of that wonderful stuff. Well, that has been a long, long, long road. And uh, Sometime last year, we launched V1 of that, and it has a lot of bugs. That's just the reality. Um, we are now weeks away from, re, uh, for, from launching the new version that is going to replace our sort of, you know, year of patches uh, with like one clean, beautiful new version. And so that's one of the biggest things we've been working on. Um, other than that, we've got a couple of SaaS projects in the works that I can't really talk about too much right now. Um, we are uh, just trying to think. 
we're, we're creating a ton of content for the blog that's going to be coming out. Um, I'm on the value added podcast with uh, my good friend, Jared, which is really worth checking out. Uh, and then just trying to do more and more stuff like this, having really good conversations with um, awesome people like yourself. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Well, um, definitely going to want to get you back on here because there's just so much more we could have gone into. Um, but uh, my poor planning has led to uh, shorter conversations. So, um, but thank you so much for coming on. I, I'm so happy for the value that you added. And I think uh, people are going to really be able to learn a lot from what you shared. So um, once again, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure and I really hope to come back.